Hi there, and welcome to How To with Ann Malum. When deciding to do this podcast, I really wanted to create something that could give people real tools on how to execute on certain things. So often we talk about things on such a macro scale that yes, leaves people inspired, but with no real idea on what the steps are to make something in their own life happen. I challenge and encourage and probe my amazing guests to get granular and specific on their strategies, their mindset, their tactics, and their methodologies so that you can learn practical, actionable steps to best optimize your confidence, career, health, and wealth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to How To with Ann Malm. I'm thrilled to have one of my good friends with me today, Dane McCarthy. Dane's How To is how to harness the power of community to build your business. And Dane has done an incredible job starting a gym, um, now has a couple of them in New York City, started during covid you guys are going to learn a ton today on, again, how you use community to really create an environment that people want to be a part of um, as it relates, in my mind, to in-person and fitness. So, Dane, what's going on? Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be sitting down with a, a good mate and can't wait for the conversation. I know. And now I have to do all this extra work by translating things you're going to say. If you guys can't tell, Dane's Australian. So he's, when he says some things where I'm like, what does that mean? I will, I will ask him so everybody can understand. You know what? I I spoke to my mum the other day on the phone, and she said that I was picking up an Australian accent, uh, American accent. She was very upset. So I don't think it's that bad. I think I'm getting a twang. I don't know if you're getting a twang, but if you keep talking to Americans, you sound very Australian. Um, cool. Well, let's just throw a little bit of background. Again, you are Australian. Tell us a little bit of you know your backstory and how you kind of got to where you are. And because I know you didn't have a grandiose business plan to to start a gym, it came out of your own personal sort of need and desire um, in COVID. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. So I came over in 2019, um, six months before everything kind of, kind of, kind of hit the fan. And I came over as an expat. I was working for a, a large technology firm here selling into, into the banks. And, and so when COVID hit, um, it was a bit of a like, stark reality <laughs> you know i didn't know anyone in the city um didn't really have a network at the time and think things just got dark really quickly uh and the gyms came out of a very much a personal need we were we were a bunch of expats looking for a place to work out and we didn't have one and so we started just training together as a group um down at one of the piers in west village and grew from there. That was really the impetus of the story. We were looking for a way to connect with people while working out. And that and that's how it got started. And how did you decide what the workouts were going to be? I mean, like what were you, was it every single day? And then how did it start to grow? Yeah, so we, we were mostly rugby guys. So we had been connected just before COVID through the rugby club. Uh, and so the workouts were really emulating things you would see um, with most sports teams, athletic conditioning, you know? So we were doing some high intensity interval stuff. We were, we were trying to do as much strength training as we could, given um, it was a lot, a lot of body weight and then um, some steady state zone two cardio. Um, now we were meeting twice a week. So Tuesdays and Thursdays we'd get together and we'd do the more strength-based stuff. Then on the alternative days, Monday and Wednesday, we'd, we, uh, we'd get together and we'd run. Uh, and so we'd do a run across Brooklyn Bridge or we'd do something like that. So, And, and at this point, Dean, is it just like, hey, come one, come all. You're not charging anything. It's just come work out with us. We, we would literally just 
pulled some money from from everyone um, via Venmo and we'd pay to coach. I'm not a PT. I'm very much a corporate guy. I've always been, never had any intent to get my kind of licenses for, for training or anything like that. Certainly not my skill set. So we, we, we outsourced that. We had some, a, a guy come in and just train me and my mates. Um, what we noticed is that we were, we were working out a fairly um, visible area and people were walking past constantly like, hey, can we join? Can we join in with you guys? And it really wasn't the point. We were just saying, hey, this is a group of mates training together. It's not really what we're doing. And we kept um, getting people asked more and more. And so kind of flippantly, I said, sure, let's let's set up some additional groups that can train together um, with their own coach. Because for us, it was really important to have consistency with the same group of people because we thought that was what was developing the great relationships between the people who had been kind of put out, a, put out via coach. And at this point, uh, Dane, are you thinking about business and a business model here? Or are you just literally trying to help people be like, oh, yeah, come work out and solve the workout problem? Or are you seeing a business start to form? Um, as it started to develop and we started to get um, more and more interest, uh, that that's when it started thinking about a business, particularly when it got cold and we needed to start thinking about a space. Yeah, cool. So and then at this time, too, you're thinking about space and whatever. Are you I, I know you have another full time job. Like, how is your brain thinking about like, okay, I can do this on the side and, you know, like how far in advance are you thinking at this point? You know, I think having a full-time job meant that I had to be really um, deliberate about how we grew and how we hired. And so I always looked to to hire the right people from it from an early stage. Got it. Um, okay. So now you're getting into having a space. Um, and again, yours and I's story is similar here because not knowing anything about signing leases or commercial real estate as it relates to gyms and whatever, how did you find, you know, this space and uh, what was that process like for you? Yeah, that was, that was interesting. You know, like we, we, we were walking past a space in West Village uh, every day that had closed down during COVID. And as it started getting colder and colder, I was like, oh, I love this community that we've built. We've got such great um, pillars to grow this, um, we're going to need to find a space. And this place, we just kept walking past it. And I ended up just reaching out, cold calling the the gym that was there um, multiple times. And I got nothing. Like, I mean, this was over two or three months. No one would reply to me, nothing. I ended up getting to one of the assistants that worked there. And then I, through that, got to the, the owner of, of the space. And she didn't want to have a bar of us. Like she was getting out of brick and mortar. She She didn't really want to talk to us. Um, and I just persisted, right? At one point, I even sent her a, a video um, to be sent to her via her assistant, just explaining who I was and why I wanted the space so much. She eventually gave me the time and, and we negotiated, um, you know, a, a way in which I could take over her lease um, and she introduced me to the landlords. So it was really about a heap of cold calling, you know, and persistence because everyone is scared of something new at first and everyone seemed to be where just this startup it was training outdoors you know and so it required a lot of massaging a lot of persistence for sure so once we finally got in front of the landlord we went in guns blazing thinking you know this is new york property we we've got to be really aggressive and we've got to kind of hold our ground and i had one of my mates come in who was a commercial real estate guy and he was super aggressive and making all these demands of the, the landlords and the landlords just said to us, look, you're not the right fit. It was a co-op. Um, uh, they, they were old, mostly older couples had been in the place for a really long time. 
And they just said, you're not a good fit. You know, we're looking for someone we can get along with um, and not necessarily someone who's going to be this aggressive. So it required then a call into their, the, the, the head of that um, co-op and just said, look, I'm really sorry about my friend. <laughs> we didn't mean to be so aggressive. We're just looking for a space to grow our community. And so relating to them on a, a more personal level seemed to do the trick. And then honestly, they were very gentle with me. They um, walked me through my first lease. There was a younger lady who was representing the board and she she really kind of walked me through at the lease, some of the stuff that was relevant to New York. Um, and I think just starting off on that more kind of polite, courteous footing really helped us. And and that's how we got our yeah. first lease. And at this time, Ben, did you understand like the power of community at this point? Like, did you see like that you had something different and special and, and how would you describe the community at this time right before your right before you got the space? Yeah. I mean, what, what's different about us is that, that we start with community, you know, like I think there is a, a lot of gyms that do a great job of community, but it's secondary to their modality or their concept. Right. Whereas for us, we, we were, we started this because we were looking for a community in COVID, you know, connections. That's right. Exercise was, was a great organic mechanism for creating those connections, but it certainly wasn't why we were doing it. You know, we were doing it because we were sitting in a, in, in our tiny apartments in New York, desperate for a bit of human connection. So we got out together and we used running and, and exercise as a way to do that. So for us, it was, it's the core tenant, you know, that's why we, we do what we do. Uh, and so that, that was established early and is really the thing that we think about the most. And we have, we've developed a lot of, um, tactics and, and ways of developing that community that I'd, that I'd be happy to talk about. Um, but it really yeah, I think we should get into that because, you know, you, again, we have, we have a similar mindset on that of if you're going to offer an in-person experience, I don't care if it's a restaurant, a coffee shop, a gym, especially a gym when people are going to frequent this thing, you know, hopefully a, a few times a week, if you get that piece wrong and you give people a reason of like, that person wasn't friendly. I don't feel welcomed. I don't feel seen. It's really easy to lose clients. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a couple of things. So, so first, the I think routine is so important to, to community. Like you need consi to consistently see people, get exposure to them, learn about them if you want to develop any sort of community, you know. So I think our cadence of twice a week was fundamental to that developing of genuine friendships, right? Because then it's those moments outside of the workout, you know, walking to coffee, you know, sharing a text after about how hard the workout was, all that stuff starts to roll. And then you can really consolidate the friendships when you see them again on Thursday, and then you see them again Tuesday. What I was struggling with, with when I moved to the States, where, where there's less team sport in um, adulthood was those repeated opportunities for connection you know i was finding the workouts that i was going to be really transactional mm -hmm. and so having a consistent routine you know training at the same time twice a week with a set group of people that was fundamental to us becoming a really strong community and then that might like did you know that like like were you like oh this is how we're going to differentiate ourselves with at what point again did you see that business aspect of like nobody else in New York is doing this everybody else in New York including the businesses that I've started it's like hey here are the class times first one first first serve you sign up and if you you know once, once it's sold out it's sold out 
but you were very particular of putting people in a squad and saying, you're going to, this is your squad. This is who you train with. Um, so again, why did you do that in the beginning? And did you understand how much of a superpower that was going to be to build to start to the beginning of building your brand? Yeah. And honestly, it was really difficult to, to maintain the squads because it was, it was really tempting to just go, oh, we've got all these people with us. Why don't we just offer a lot of classes? Yeah. And at that time when there wasn't a lot of gyms in West Village after COVID, right, we could have just doubled down and we would have increased our revenue significantly mm -hmm. because we could have offered more classes at more times for more convenience for people, right? Um, but going back to my sports background, I knew that that wouldn't create um, the kind of the the... I don't know how you call it. It wouldn't call the create the experience we wanted, you know. And so I had to really hold strong in that, and and met with a lot of resistance. But I was I was adamant that if we created something that was consistent like that, that that people would would come to it. It just took some education, you know. We had to just tell our members why we were doing that, why we thought same time, same place, same people was so important, you know. And once people started to realize that, you know, you had a natural attrition of people who are like. I'm just looking for convenience. You know, I want to go to a place that I can get in, get out, do my weights and off. That's awesome. You know, I, that, I think that's, that's a, a really powerful way to exercise and I've done it myself, but for us and, and the community we're building, that's not what we're doing. We're the opposite of that. Yeah. And I think it's important to emphasize at this point, Dane, I see so many businesses and I saw it during COVID of people trying to take advantage of, oh, we can just make so much revenue. And I don't think that a lot of people realize the brand erosion that comes with trying to be everything to everyone. Even as brands say, you know, a lot of workout places do this of like, we're for everybody, anybody can do this. And it's like, that's actually really, again, detrimental to what you're trying to do because you're letting anybody and everybody in and, and that isn't brand building. And so when you're specific and you're prudent and you're deliberate about who you are, what you offer, knowing that that's not going to be for everybody. And it's okay if that client leaves because that's going to open up a space for the right client to come in that's just going to foster the type of environment that you want. It's really hard for business owners to, to do that because I'm turning away money. It's like, yeah, but long term, if you want stickiness, you need something that people can be like, listen, what, what is WVA? What is GVA? What is it? It's like, oh my God, we work out with the same people twice a week. This is my time slot. I know I have a spot. Like it's actually, when you think about it, it's super convenient because you don't have to race to sign up for something and get into that class. You know, it's, you know, it's yours. Um, so I think that's a really important, a really important lesson for people to take away from this is get clear on what it is that's going to separate you apart when you are building anything and don't waver for that if there isn't a really good reason to to waver. Um, and it sounds like you had that foresight in the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, I think your mentorship along the way was, was really helpful there. I, you telling me some of the stories about Solid Core, how, you know, you, were, you weren't an easy workout. You know what I mean? If people were looking for an easy workout, then you weren't in the right spot and you were fine to let people go and say, sure. You know, so I think that hearing that from you validated that thought process. So, so not only was I getting really clear about what we were and what we weren't, I was getting really clear about who our persona was. Like, who do we, who do we think we're good for? And so, so that was really important as well, because then, then the marketing becomes a hell of a lot easier. Then the product development, everything, everything around it starts just to fit into place. If you know who you're targeting, what you are and what you're not. Um, 
And and don't don't get me wrong, I, I chase shiny objects all the time, you know, and I, I still sometimes get distracted and want to go do something else or create a new revenue stream. Um, but I, I constantly just got to remind myself, like, we're about squads. We're about team, genuine team training and developing relationships and connections through exercise was incredible organic mechanism to do that. Yeah. So what would be some advice for for folks? Again, we can maybe both chime in on this one, but it's like you think about your North Star and you think about like what makes us different and what makes people want to come here. And like, again, whether it is the squads community, and I think you've done that research of like people come to you for connection first and workout second. It doesn't mean that the workout obviously isn't great, but it's just like you sort of see, especially in a place like New York, which ironically is full of people, but there's a lot of loneliness and people just like passing each other on the streets and, you know, very surface level, you know, connection there um, on understanding what your North Star is and then being willing to ask those questions of like, okay, if we're going to do this thing, does this support or detract from the North Star that is such a pinnacle to what we're building here? And will it again, uh, bolster it or erode it? So like, do you have those processes as your team thinks about that when you guys are brainstorming? Um, like, I, I know you're creating new squads, you're looking at expanding, you know, what's some of the thought process that comes into play there? Yeah, I mean, I, under the theme of, of this podcast on like the how, um, I, I really do recommend one, trying to get Anne as a mentor, that's number one. And number two is a book called, uh, by Gino Wickman called Traction. And it's a really simple book you know, but out of everything that I learned in my MDA and my and my undergrad, this book really helped in us articulating that North Star. So I always knew that squads was what we wanted to do. But then this book gave us a framework for, okay, what's our mission? What are our values? Who's our persona? What are our 90-day goals? What are our year goals? And what are our three-year goals? And doing that exercise with the team has just been so helpful because it means that everyone understands, okay, we're differentiating around the squad model. We're not differentiating around modality. We're not differentiating around um, amenities. You know, so everyone's then on board, which is really important, I think, because then we can tell a consistent message, you know, like, and so then when the sales call comes in or someone's trying to do a referral, you know, we try to be as transparent as possible, as early as possible with people who are interested in the gym, where we say, hey, where about squads? You know, it, yeah. look at the people who are also about that. And if, if you are, great, all in. Um, but if not, then you're not right for us. So kind of being inclusively exclusive, if you will. Yeah. I love sort of looking at things as sports also. Um, and we both know I'm probably a better athlete than you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, in your old age, certainly. That's yeah. But it's, it's, it's asking the question, what's the game you can win at? And what you just said, Dan, where you're like, we're not going to win the amenities game. We're not going to win, you know, the like most beautiful space. You're going to come in and blah, 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 like game. We're not even going to, we're not even going to play because it's not something that like we're promoting and as a selling point to why you should work out here. And I think it's really smart when people lean into that. So again, solid core is the same thing. What game are we playing? The game we're playing at solid core is like, we are the, we are the most premium, uh, high end intense Pilates class that that you're going to find and that's the messaging you know that we're going to continue to feed people like everything else is secondary but this is the premium brand product experience if you're looking for this type of workout 
And we did the same thing. Like We're not like, we're not going to sell you on crazy amenities. We're selling you on the workout, the studio space, meaning the, the, the lighting is great. The mirrors are great sound system and our coaches. Yeah. Our coaches are the best of the best. That's where we're going to invest. And that's where you should expect ex exceptional experience and excellence in those categories. Don't expect to have 20, 20 showers coming in. Like we don't offer that. We're not, we're not trying to, again, you know, win at that game. So I think it's really smart when people get clear on that too. And if you say, this is what we're going to win at, you have to do it better than 99% of anybody else who's competing in that same game with you. I mean, did you, did you have the same, like, I, I know you, you, you were always very confident in your model, but were you ever thinking, oh God, this is a bit scary. Like I'm, I'm, I'm targeting a, a sliver within the market, you know, in a relatively new concept at the time, like, were you ever second guessing yourself? Were you ever like, oh, we'll just be mainstream. We'll just make the workouts a little easier. We'll pay coaches a little less. Like, did you ever get challenged on, on your approach? Not, not really. And I think people like for so many years, Dane, nobody knew what what or what solid core was or hadn't even heard of it, right? And it's like you can build billion dollar businesses that no one's ever heard of. And the reason those people do that is because they stick, they understand who their demographic is and they're not trying to be made. You know, you mainstream something, you sort of lessen the product. Yeah. You be I don't know any product out there that's middle of the road, right? Look at New York Sports Clubs that's no longer around. Look at those gyms that were kind of like $80 a month that didn't, you know, it's like, that's a lot for someone to spend when your amenities are kind of shit. You yeah. have the same operation as Planet Fitness in regard to what you're offering. But Planet Fitness is $15, $20. Yeah. Like that gym went away. So whenever you play to the, the middle of the road and, and my, you actually, that's when you should be scared. That's when you should be like someone, you, people either go to the bottom or the top. It's like the ultra premium. You kind of want to be at the place where you're going to be seeing you'll stretch a little bit, or it's like, that's just not a priority to me. And I'm not going to spend really any money on that. I'm just going to, I, I want to go to a gym where I can lift weights. and like, I don't care about a scene. I don't care about whatever. I just, yeah. So I, I think it's actually much riskier to play in the middle. Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, is something that I just have to continue to remind myself. Well, you do, you feel like especially being in a services business and a people's business. And, and when it's particularly when I was first starting WBA and I, like I knew our first hundred members by first name, you know, I knew their first name. I knew where they worked. I knew what the challenges they were having. I knew whose parents were in town. Like I was so close to that group of people that when we had to do a price increase, just because the yeah. were not making sense anymore. You know what I mean? Like we had this price for when we were training outdoors and we were paying a coach. We then move inside and you've got, you know, rent, all the New York taxes that they throw at you, all these, you know, then you've got unemployment insurance, you've got all these things that start piling up. And I remember just being so scared of lifting the price. And it was, it was such a shame because, you know, I had, I had some people in the group at the time who we raised the price and they were really upset about it. And I remember just feeling so bad and like, oh, I've let them down kind of thing. But then what was really interesting is that you had a group of people who texted me on the side and were like, hey, Dane, it's great that you've raised your prices. You know what I mean? Like we can afford it and we know this is going to make the gym better and more sustainable. And you're like, ha, they're the people you want around you. You know what I mean? You don't want those friends who are like, oh, can I get a free class? Or, you know, it's so expensive now. I can't afford it anymore. They're going to sap your energy and they're going to spend, you're going to spend so much time um, catering to them that it becomes like 
impossible. My my granddad used to say the empty drum makes the most noise, and and I couldn't I couldn't agree more in that sentiment. You know, people who contribute the least to the community normally are the ones who are crap making the most noise about it. But people yeah. who really bought in and want to support other people on their fitness journey have no problem. You know, they're like, great, let's do it. You know, and I think that that was a really important mental shift for me. That you know, if we want to be a sustainable business, we've got to be priced appropriately. Or else we'll be undercapitalized and we'll go under as soon as there's any sort of kind of turbulence. Well, that's let's talk about this because this is really important. And there's 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 two things here. One is building community is and I've been in that place too, right? When I was starting Solid Four, I mean, it was live, eat, breathe in the studio, outside the studio, employees, clients, those were only the people that I was spending any sort of time with. And what can be tricky there is that this is a business. It's a business first. And yes, we have community and connection here, but we cannot have community and connection without profit. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, we, I mean, I told you this, this, this story of this survey that got sent out for our employees and how upset we had this, this person just wrote a full paragraph on how upset this one employee was that solid Core was making money off of her. And you're sort of like, wow, there is a massive disconnect. And as a leader, it's my responsibility to make sure that the you know, expectations are really clear and it's a really tough thing to balance. I know we've talked about this as I've tried to give you some advice of being careful there of almost creating too much closeness that people forget that it's a business when you have to let people go, when you need to raise prices, when you're not taking a stance on every social issue, you know, that, that comes out when you have to tell the people that work there that like, Listen, guys, as startups, it, you, you have to work hard and nonstop, and it's going to be a lot of boundaries that are going to be broken, and I might need you at 8 o'clock at night, but we're not a family. You know, this isn't unconditional love. You can do things that you, you know, as a member, you might ask that member to leave because you have, again, values events, and a, an employee who you might adore and is great personality but isn't, you know, contributing to the results and the performance of the business that, that you have to let go that everybody loves. I mean, I can't tell you, Dan, how many times in the beginning that happened, we had to let a coach go who was, you know, constantly showing up late for class. Everybody loved the person. I'm like, I can't risk like you hurting the brand in this way. You, you've showed up late for class four times. I've been super generous. I have to let you go. And you get emails from clients being like, this was my favorite coach. I can't believe whatever. And I'm like, I have to run the business. And if I show an exception for this person, all I'm saying is I'm playing favorites. It's okay to be late. And like, yeah, it can be really tough also building community inside a business when you have a, a, a gym and you rely so much on personality and people. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that, of how you've seen that transition in the first couple of years of business? Yeah, totally. And and then again, in the theme of the how, you know, and, and scaling some of the advice you've given to me through through this podcast, something that I think in that, in that last kind of couple of sentences you just said, it, it, it's, it's really important how you use language. Um, because you've caught me a couple times using language that becomes problematic. And I notice that every time you speak about things, you're very conscious around how you talk. And for us, that has become really important internally. So one thing that that I remember saying to you early on was I, I described our team as a family. And, and just as you said, like that is a problem because a family is very different mm -hmm. to a team. You know, a family is unconditional love you know it's i'll do anything for them i'll pick up the slack for them when i need to you know they can they can mess around i'm still going to love my brother or sister yeah a right. team is very different a team is okay if you're performing 
great. If you're not, you're off the team. You know, right. a team is everyone's got roles and you do your role. And a team is pursuing a goal. And so when you and I had that conversation and, I, and I've, I've taken it back to my, my internal team a lot, I'm blessed to have some best employees ever. Um, but they really internalize that. And now that's exactly how we talk about the relationships we have internally and with our, our members is that you're joining a team, you're not joining a family. And that just, that means that you've got to be accountable. You've got to be, um, you've got to show up, you've got to work hard and all those kind of things. So that, that shift in language has been really important for us separating, um, you know, creating boundaries within the community so that it doesn't become so difficult to, to, to do that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, for anybody out there who's young and starting something like this, I can tell you from experience, I didn't trust my leadership skills enough in the beginning. So I leaned into community so hard, come over to my place. I'm having a party. Come over here. I, I almost made so many other perks and like, you know, really leaned on like, I'll be your best friend so that you'll do work for me. And it, bit, it definitely bit me in the ass later, you know, down the road. And, you know, those are tough lessons to to learn. And I, I had to take responsibility for like, oh, I I very much encouraged and allowed people to have solid core permeate every aspect of their life because it benefited the business. And then when that person no longer was the right person for the business anymore and I had to let them go, you know, one of the things I sort of regret is not having enough empathy for when I had to let that person go, just how much I was, how much they were having to, to actually let go of their, like their workout was gone. Cause right. It's like, well, my job is gone. I don't feel, I don't want to work out there anymore. I'm embarrassed. Your social scene is a little bit gone, your identity. Um, so it was something I really kind of had to take a hard look at it. And I'm really mindful of that as I'm building ambition. I have much bigger boundaries with the team you know, now, and as a, as a solid core grew, I, I put those boundaries in place. I had that conversation about language that we need to use going forward. Uh, and it was a tough lesson to learn, but I realized, oh, why was I doing that? Is because I was insecure on how to be a leader and a CEO because I was still learning. Well, and it's the hardest part. I'm, I'm completely humbled by, by it every day, you know, like we're, we're a tiny organization in comparison to, to yours and others. Uh, but that, human element is is by far the most challenging you know i've been blessed that the the guy who runs the the gyms for us um mackenzie johnson he, he's just incredible in his eq you know he's extremely coachable like and and not coachable in the sense that i know what i that i know more than him about training but i do know more than him about what concept i want to deliver you know right. so when he came on he he was really receptive to, Hey, this is how I'm trying to build this thing. And this is what I like. And it wasn't an ego shot for him. You know, he wasn't like, Oh, well, one, so I'm not good enough. He was just like, yeah, great point. And could just adapt and change. And like that coachability has ended up being the most important part of our dynamic because it goes both ways. You know, he's, he's calling me out being like, Hey man, you're being a bit sloppy in managing your full-time job and, and, mm. and the gym. You know, he'll call me out, you know, and then that those those frank two way conversations have, have been incredible and, and something that I'm I'm trying to develop further because just like you, I I can find myself being best mates with people rather than, you know, doing the doing the thing that's best for the business. Yeah, totally. And again, it's a concept and I don't hear a lot of people talk about that, especially in the fitness and wellness industry. And I'm 
I'm speaking at the Boutique Fitness Summit, you know, next, I think it's next week or two weeks from now. And like, that's one of the topics I want to talk about. Everybody there is growing a business. And again, you need community, but you have to balance being the boss and the leader and being fair um, and being special and being unique in the thing that you're offering. And what does that is connection. So it's it's a tough thing to balance and people having resources and each other talk about is, is super important. I want to actually go back to the beginning because, you know, a lot of times questions I get or I know that people are contemplating is like, you know, oh, well, like, how do I start? How do I whatever? And your your story to starting um, the athletic clubs and my story to starting back on my feet actually are very similar and that we just started. And so, for example, I can remember this guy being like, I really want to I really want to teach um, music to underprivileged, you know, kids, but I don't know where to start. Well, I'm like, just go find somebody who could use your service and start teaching him or her. Like that's where you have to start because frankly, you're not going to know what step two, three or four is. And I think Dane, you can probably speak to that too. Like you have to actually go do that to, to be able to see, okay, how can I grow this? What's the next step? And we all try to just theoretically create it in our head of like what the plan is A through Z. And you're never going to know that you just need to take the first couple steps. So back on my feet, I just started running with the guys at the shelter. I was like, I want to start a running club, got it organized. We're going to run Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Those were the first steps meeting the guys. Okay, how do I get more people involved? I need more volunteers. That's the next step. So sort of, it sounds very similar. You're like, oh, wow, all these people are sort of stopping me and asking me, can they join? Let's create a bigger group. Let's create more groups. Yeah. Yeah. Now that was particularly relevant during the lease phase. You know, like there wasn't a lot of risk being taken early on. You know, there was a bit of initiative that needs to be taken to organize the groups. And there was definitely some advertising and organizing of emails and some administrative stuff to get people into squads. It was when you step into a lease, you know, as an expat trying to deal with New York landlords, that's when people are like just flabbergasted that it was, yeah, I just went and just got an LLC and then I just went and signed the lease. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people are like, what could have gone wrong? You could have lost all your money and you could have like, could have got sued and rah, rah, rah. and absolutely I could have, you, you, you know what I mean? But I didn't know that, you know, cause I was just operating with what was in front of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think being dyslexic and probably not the smartest tool in the, in the shed helps, you know, cause I'm not that cerebral. I'm not thinking 12 steps in advance. I'm just thinking about, okay, what needs to be done now? Whether yeah. or not that, that ends up being a problem in the future, I'm sure some of my team would, would call out that we probably act a bit too fast sometimes. Um, but you just don't know what you don't know and trying to solve a problem you don't have is yeah. just going to cause you so much stress. Like, and I, and I, we often have members be like, I'm so keen to like start my own business. And I just, I, all I can say to them is like, just like you said, you just got to, you got to start, you know, right. um, and whether, that may not be good advice. You know, I'm sure there's some academics and MBAs who are like, no, you got to plan out a strategy with a SWOT analysis and understand your strengths and weaknesses and put together a 12 month performer. But I think, you know, like, any plan post six months is kind of out the door. You know, once you actually start, anything that you thought was going to happen just goes out the window anyway. So you've got to be reactive when, when it actually happens. I, I completely agree. And and I've seen people put together investment analysis and, you know, and I'm like, none of none of that matters. It matters on can you can you execute your focus on what happens in a year from now? And to that point, Dane, it's like it, there's going to be risk in anything. You're never going to start a business without some level of risk. And when you go all in, I'm sure you felt the same way. It's just like, I'm going to figure it out. 
I trust myself enough that I will figure this out. I'm, I don't know everything. You're never going to know everything. There are still things that are happening in ambition. I'm like, oh, God, that was a learning lesson. You know, but it's like once you trust yourself enough to know that you'll figure it out, you're passionate enough about what you're doing, you're smart enough to figure it out. Like that's really the tools um, that I think are the most important of, of, of starting something. And it's exactly that of like getting the first step and getting started. And then I actually want to pivot here a little bit um, because I've, I've been talking about this a lot and I'm sure, you know, you'll agree. And I'm curious to what your answer is to my questions here. But I've also been saying to folks that have been writing this book of, when you think about what your talents are, Dane, um, you know, when I was when I was starting Solid Pour, right, I don't know anything about construction, commercial real estate, a lot of the things that, you know, the big vision for the company are, are, are a big part of being successful. But what I did know is I know how to build community. I understand brand. Uh, this workout that I've discovered, you know, nobody knows about it. And if no one knows about it, if I don't know about it, nobody knows about it. And if I'm if I'm loving it, I know other people will. Like I I know how to get people excited about something, and I felt so passionate about the product. So it's like that was enough for me. Of like I have those talents, and if I had all the talents of oh I'm an analyst, the finances, and understanding this, but I didn't have an emotional IQ, and I didn't know how to make people feel welcome, and I didn't understand people, that business would have failed regardless of the pro forma, regardless of, you know, how much analysis I did, if I couldn't make that space and the coaches a place that people wanted to come and be a part of, it, it would have failed. So you figure out, okay, this is what I tell people, what are your, what are your talents um, that you do better again than like 95, maybe 99% of the population? Figure those things out and then figure out a business that you can start that those talents are absolutely necessary to the success of the business. So did, you know, again, maybe you hadn't thought about that concept, but now that I'm speaking about it, like, do you know what you are the best at? Do you know, uh, you know, what, what your talents and how they contribute to the gym and how important they are? And when you think about hiring people, those talents that those people need to ensure the businesses continue, the gyms are continuing to be a place that people want to be at. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely um, elements of of my past and my experience that have positioned me, um, have put me in a really good position to deliver squats. You know what I mean? I don't think my history says, has put me in a place to, to, to start gyms, you know, broadly, but to start squads, I think I have a really unique background and that's, and that's that I've always played team sports, but not mm -hmm. just that in those team sports, I've been at a competitive enough level where it's required me to know enough about the body and how to get fit and how to get my, 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 my body to do what it wants. So I have that enough knowledge to be deadly in the kind of fitness space, but more important than that, in every rugby club that I was a part of, I was some sort of club captain, social lead, social head. So I had... 15, 20 years, you know, oh, before that, I started playing basketball when I was 10, you know, and had the same kind of roles. So I've just had so many reps of bringing together teams, bringing together diverse groups of people um, and adapting to different groups, you know? So I think that that put me in a really good position to have 
some authority when I was talking about what I, I wanted to deliver for that experience. You know, I go, I knew exactly what needed to happen for a team to to start getting along. And those were those elements of consistency, some sort of social element, some sort of goal that you're working towards, you know, making sure that everyone within that group or team feels completely seen and known, you know, and that's simple stuff, knowing their name, where they work, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, in hindsight, I realized there was that um, kind of special knowledge that I developed over years. But at the time I was just pursuing something I bloody loved, you know, yeah. that was what got me through all that really heady, complex, analytical stuff because I was like, I just, I know I love doing this and I love seeing how people respond to it when it works. So all that hard stuff that you got to deal with negotiating leases, you know, opening a bank account, building your performers, you know, that, that becomes easy because you're so clear on what you love doing and what, what you do. I do not know how people go and start businesses, um, based on, you know, a theoretical market demand. Like, could you imagine being like some of these tech people who are like, you know what? I think there's a gap in the market for risk and portfolio analytics. I'm going to go, but like, I'm so impressed by those people because I don't know how they get through those moments of just boring, mundane business stuff because they don't have, you know, a, a genuine passion. Yeah. And for you guys listening, this should fire you up because you have two examples of people. Again, I'm not talking about Everybody thinks like, oh my God, I don't have a Harvard educator and I'm not Ivy League. I didn't go to Ivy League either. I went to a state school. But everybody listening, you have a certain set of talents from your experiences to date that puts you in a position to be successful somewhere. You just got to figure out what those things are. Danes and I are similar, again, of like, and I, I got to see that at back on my feet. I got people living in, in shelters to start to start running. I can be super convincing. And then I got volunteers to show up. And then I got people to give me millions of dollars. It's like, oh, this is this is a superpower. I feel like I, I, you know, how can I then, what's my next business? How do I take those skill sets and put them into the next business? And I just happen to be passionate about health, fitness, and making people healthier and happier. So like, if you don't figure those things out, it gets really hard to to start a business. And so it's the first thing I try to tell people. Figure out where your talents and experiences lend you, then find the business that matches that, and you're already going to have a massive leg up on that business. You know, having the potential to 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 make it. Yeah, I mean, we have an acronym at the gyms. It's actually on top of our our van that we have. On the top of it is WATBA, W A T T B A. What a time to be alive! And I that was just something that I was saying to myself a lot during COVID. I was like, wow, this is pretty incredible that something so bad has turned into the squads that became a really important part of my life. And I started translating that into like, there is no better time ever to be able to start a business. You know what I mean? Like you can get a website up in 10 minutes. You can get a GIN number in 15, you, you know, you can work with chat GPT and have copy written for your first ads within half an hour. You know, if you don't know how to do integration between the back end of your systems, you can go on Fiverr and hire someone in India, who is an expert in that thing, there is really no excuse for not doing the things that that bring your passion to life because it couldn't be easier, you know. And that excitement and optimism about what's possible, like just talking about it now, gets me excited around so many different things that you could do. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that your point about just getting started, like just get started, and you might look like a dickhead. You know, you might start an LLC, you might start a company and put it on Instagram and everyone laughs at you and thinks it it's no good and it doesn't work. Who cares? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like people do a lot more embarrassing things on social media and they have a crack at starting a business, you know? Totally. So there's a, there's a quote that says that it's like your first, your first, if you never ran before, your first run's going to be bad. Your first podcast is going to be bad. Like it's like everybody who's ever done anything for the first time, you are going to be bad at it. It's not a personal attack on you. It is just how it works. I mean, you can't get great at something and, and learn something without putting in the time and the reps and you have to have a day one. You have to have a step one. That is how every single person that you look at and admire, I don't care who they are, they had a day one and they had to learn as they go. Like you're not at a disadvantage. Um, it's, you know, figuring out if you're willing to just suck at something for a little while. Totally. And without sounding like the, the converted patriot, patriot it, like there is no better country to do it either. Like I think a lot of people living in the US look outside of the US and be like, oh, it's so much better in Switzerland or Australia or whatever. That's just not true because culturally there is no better country for risk-taking. You, you know, like everyone you talk to in America is like, oh, you hear about the entre you know, entrepreneurship, leadership, CEOs are put on like a pedestal. Everywhere else in the world, particularly European countries and Australia, there's this concept of tall poppy syndrome where if you get a little bit too big for your boots, someone's going to rip you down. And that means that you've got this real stagnant legacy class of businesses, you know, that have been around for 30 years that haven't changed. But here in the US, you guys are creating businesses constantly and supporting each other and, and, and making it happen. So if you're living in the United States and you have access to the internet, you know, you are in a pretty bloody good spot to, to start a business, you know, you're in a really good And important to have that perspective for sure. Um, okay, one of the questions I always ask people at the end, just because I find it interesting on what people say, and this it, it changes for people throughout the course of their life. Where you are today, when you put your head on the pillow at night, how do you know if you had a successful day? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I generally discipline normally um, precedes success for me. You know, so I know I've had a good day if I've kind of hit the hit those the schedule and and then the things that I've set forth. For myself, you know, that kind of seems to give me a bit of freedom and at least confident knowing that, you know, I've done everything I can that day. Uh, and so I can get to sleep. If I feel like I haven't, you know, because I've been a bit lazy or I've, I've, I've pushed the alarm by an hour or I haven't got back to someone I knew I should have, that's when I start to stress a little bit and I get in my head. So maybe it's keeping your commitments to yourself. Totally. Yeah. That, that's far more articulate way of putting it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Last question, just because I think it'll be fun and then I'll let you go. Um, what does money, what does money mean to you? Freedom, 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 freedom. You know, I like, I think that was a big realization that I, that I had and why I'm so excited about entrepreneurship is, you know, making lots of money, obviously incredible, but autonomy, I think when you see people who have genuine autonomy and are living a life by, by their, um, standards, they seem to be the happiest, you know, and my mom's a great example of this. She has no money. Um, but she's doing something that she loves and she has full autonomy over her input and output. And so I think that's what, what money is. It just allows you to have autonomy over your inputs and outputs. Yeah. And I, I don't really talk about money or I haven't that much, too much on this podcast yet, but you know, guys, it doesn't, everybody wants things to be like binary. It's like people over profits. And it's just like, you know, you can, you can treat your people well and make money. You know, you, you don't have to like choose these things and we have to stop demonizing, you know, money, wealth, profit, businesses. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm fully in support of WVA, TVA, the athletic clubs. It's like provide a great service, charge something, and there should be enough left over where like 
there's a profit at the end. That's a, that's a, that's a healthy business. And for anybody who always screams, you know, people over profits, a business to be successful and, and provide jobs, of course, needs to make a profit at the end of the day, especially for, you know, the risk that is usually involved in starting a business. So, Dane, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, as always. And uh, we'll connect soon. But thanks for sharing some knowledge with everybody today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Anne. Thank you for, for, for having me on and for your continued support. I, I think you're one of the most underrated entrepreneurs there is. So if you're listening to this, make sure you follow everything Anne's doing because there's some real nuggets in there. Well, that is nice. I didn't even have to pay for that ad. <laughs> there you go. Hey everyone, if you are loving these how-to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate you to follow, rate, and review. It helps us get these podcasts out to more people who are looking for these actionable items on how to make real progress in their life. Thank you so much. You know I appreciate you.